Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Narrative. My name is Alex Abnos. Uh, I am kind of half the operation here, along with Harry Swartout, whose uh, episode was first in this feed. Uh, however, at the current time, uh, what's taking up most of my time is the SI Olympics podcast. Uh, the feed is called Sports Illustrated at the Games, and over there, I host a daily show along with Mitch Goldich about uh, just things that are going on in the Olympics. We do a daily recap uh, show, but I'm also producing a fair amount of uh, shows similar to like what you'll hear on this feed, uh, narrative storytelling and things like that. Uh, so for my first episode on this feed, uh, I just wanted to put out one of those uh, shows that I put on the Olympics channel. It's about a steeplechaser by the name of Evan Jaeger, and if you're not totally familiar with the steeplechase, that's okay. It's kind of a crazy track event uh, that you know, like most track events, features a bunch of people running in circles, uh, but throws a bunch of obstacles in the way. Uh, you'll see it at the Rio Olympics. Uh, it's coming up in the next week or so. Uh, but Lindsay Schnell reported out this story. I produced it, and I'm pretty happy with how it came out, so I hope you enjoy it. Uh, you can hear this in addition to a bunch of other uh, shows of all kinds from Rio at uh, the Sports Illustrated at the Games channel. Uh, but I wanted to play this one on this one as well so you get a sense uh, for what the feed is all about. Uh, thanks a lot. I look forward to expanding this feed and doing more with it uh, as, as we move forward. But for right now, here is Lindsay Schnell on Evan Jaeger, the steeplechaser. In 2012, I felt like un unbeatable the last 60 meters of the race. Like I felt like I could run 10 flat for the 100. Like that's how good I felt. This year... It's different because it's expected of me to, to win at this point, and it's, it's hard to win. Imagine a house. It's in the suburbs of Chicago, Algonquin, Illinois, to be exact. A mother, father, and two children live there. It's the early 90s, and one of those children, a little boy named Evan, is running in circles. So when you walk in our front door, you walk into the living room. The, the living room runs all down the left side. And then if you get to the end of the living room and turn right, you're in the dining room. And then if you turn right again, you're in the kitchen. And then you turn right again and you're back in the living room. So I would tickle and chase him around living room, dining room, kitchen, living room, dining room, kitchen. I'd go about 10 laps and be done. And he would just keep running and running and running. And literally, he was a toddler. I'm Lindsay Schnell, and you're listening to Rio's Rising Stars on Sports Illustrated at the Games podcast channel. The woman you just heard is Kathy Jager, the mother of Evan Jager, a U.S. Olympian going to Rio to compete in the steeplechase. Jager is 26 and headed to his second consecutive Olympic Games. He's the American record holder in the steeplechase, and he has helped popularize an event originally designed for horses. A somewhat bizarre, grown-up version of an obstacle course, the steeple, that's what people in the track and field community call it, embraces its quirkiness. Consider the line from a recent story in Runner's World magazine, which described the event like this, quote, long before the Kenyans owned the steeplechase, it belonged to the crazies, end quote. Do you think the steeplechase is a weird event? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's it's different for sure. If you watch a full track meet, like all the other events 
kind of fit, they're kind of similar to something else, but then the steeple is definitely, it's just completely different from everything. But that's what makes it so fun, and that's that's what makes it appealing to me. Is just it's different. It requires a little bit of a little bit of everything to be really good at it. Before we get back to Evan, let's explain what this event is exactly. The sport originated in Ireland when riders on horseback would race from one town steeple, that's a church tower, to the next. By the mid 19th century, it had evolved into a human steeplechase with runners on foot. In 1879, it was introduced as a track event at the English Championships. 21 years later, in 1900, steeplechase made its Olympic debut in Paris. Back then, there were two steeplechases, a shorter distance of 2,500 meters and a longer distance of 4,000. Now it's settled at 3,000 meters and involves jumping over 35 barriers that, for the men, each measure 36 inches high. In the women's race, which became an Olympic event in 2008, barriers are 30 inches high. Seven of those barriers are water jumps. The other 28 are hurdles, but they're a little shorter than regular hurdles and longer, so all the runners can jump over them at the same time. Here's former American star Brian Deemer on why this event is so daunting. The steeplechase can really get bunched up, and your efficiency is taken away when, when you are trying to hurdle or do the water jump at the same time as three or four other guys over the same barrier. There's pushing, there's shoving, there's, they knock your timing off. You have to be able to run inside of a pack. You have to be able to take those, those pushes and shoves. You have to be able to accelerate to get out of trouble. You have to be strong enough to hold your ground. And it really comes down to a confidence to be able to run inside of a pack, not freak out, and be able to stay efficient inside of a very inefficient setup. You know, to the layperson, I'm telling you, the barriers seem to grow in the last couple laps. We'll hear more from Brian later. Like most distance events on the global stage, steeplechase is dominated by the Kenyans. In fact, since the 1968 Games in Mexico City, Kenyans have meddled in every Olympic steeplechase except two. And the two they missed, they boycotted. Kenyans have won gold in the last eight Olympics, dating back to 1984. So yeah, in Rio, Evan might have to revert back to his childhood pastime of playing chase. It's not disheartening. It's a fun challenge for sure. Uh, I never, I've never walked away and been like, man, I like, I don't know how I'm going to compete with those guys. Like, I don't think I can do it. Um, like, I, I've definitely walked away thinking. I've got some work to do. <laughs> like I, it's exciting for me to try and figure that out. And um, if I were to do that on a on a given day at a global championship, like I don't know, it would just be the best because I like it's not easy. I think it's you appreciate like wins a lot more when they come after struggle or uh, come with a lot of hard work as opposed to just kind of like falling into your lap. If you know Evan's history, it's funny to hear him use the phrase falling into your lap. Some competitors probably feel that way about him because in a lot of ways, he's still sort of new to the steeplechase. Evan figured out he was good at running as a kid in elementary school when he excelled in the pacer test, 
The 20-meter pacer test will begin in 30 seconds. Line up at the start. Remember that? Remember to run in a straight line and run as long as possible. It's the one where you line up along the baseline at the gym and run at the beep. A single lap should be completed each time you hear this sound. As the test goes on, the beeps get closer together, testing speed and endurance. The second time you fail to complete a lap before the sound, your test is over. On your mark, get ready, start. This is middle school when he would do pacers and he would come home and tell me about these and this was something I had never heard of, you know. One. And so he, I, he says, well, you know, you run back and forth across the gym. Well, how many times do you go back and forth? Two. Well, as many as you can. So how many did you do? And the number I remember Three. was 97. 97. Oh, my gosh. 98. And I said, well, so... How many people ran that many? Oh, no, uh, just me. Well, so when did other people drop out? Oh, maybe 50, 60. I'm like, okay. <laughs> While Evan excelled in the 5,000, he had been hampered by a string of injuries early in his professional career. In July of 2010, he had surgery to repair a fractured bone on the top of his right foot. As a result, he couldn't train for almost nine months. That's when Evan and his coach, Jerry Schumacher, decided to try something new. Almost three years into running professionally, Evan would take up the steeplechase. Back in Illinois, his parents had their doubts. I had seen the steeple, but I hadn't really, I mean, nobody watches the steeple, you know? That's when you get up and go get something to eat at track meets. So, <laughs> I, and... So I'm watching this thing and I'm like, that looks really hard. And he just said, yeah, I, it feels really natural to me. I mean, it was always in the back of my head as well. Um, I had always kind of been interested in it since high school. One of my, well, one of my high school, mainly because one of my high school coaches told me he thought I, I would be pretty good. And I, I never got the chance to do it in college. I, I turned pro right after my freshman year of college and um, that was another huge transition, living on my own, training with uh, like guys much older than me. So Being that an was, adult. Yeah. Was, well, so I, I don't know if you could say I was being an adult, an adult but uh, uh, the next year I got injured. So I, th I think coming off of the injury, I, I was looking for something different to do, um, looking for like a little spark to just get me going and um, thought about doing the steeple and started training for it and took to it really quickly, really well. Um, so I just so when you started training, mm -hmm. did you do a couple like full steeples in practice to, I mean, if you'd never run it before there has to, you know, it's like when you train yeah. for a marathon, people say you're never actually supposed to actually run the full yeah. marathon before, but what's that like? Yeah, no, steeple? we didn't. Um, so you, you got to start off, slow um like just learning how to hurdle takes a little while it's if you've never done it 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 feels kind of awkward um it, it's definitely not natural to do it right away but probably more so as a distance runner that was that was kind of all we practiced to start just 
just hurdling and getting down hurdle form. And then it was, it was something different, something new for me to focus on and practice. And as soon as I started the hurdle practice itself, um, I liked the challenge of trying to figure out how to do it perfectly. And it only took a couple of weeks for me to feel like totally natural hurdling. And it went much better than I think my coaches or I was expecting. And and that was like the first time that we thought that we might have something and um, steeple might be my event. After just a few months of practice, Evan was running races and learning about his new event through some trial and error. I read that you you took a tumble in the water one of your first. Was it at practice or was it in a race? No, it was in a race, my, my second race, yeah. I took the lead with two laps to go and pushed pretty hard. Uh, it, it was just so new to me that, like, I think I, yeah, I just kind of so used happened? up. I used up a little bit too much of my energy and coming into the last water jump, um, I knew I was tired, so I was just thinking, okay, just jump as hard as you can, jump as high as you can, and hopefully you don't, like, clip your foot. In the steeplechase, seven of the barriers runners go over end in a water pit. It's a really tricky obstacle. The water is two feet at its deepest point and slopes upward. You go over the barrier with a lot of force, but the landing sweet spot involves just barely getting your foot wet. Any more than that, and you have to expend a lot of energy getting out of the water. And so I jumped really, really high, and I went to put my foot down on, on top of the barrier to push off. And I stepped down, and I just completely missed the barrier. So my foot went straight down into, into the deep part of the water pit. And, uh, like, yeah, I got soaked from, like, shoulders down. But <clears throat> it was embarrassing, and that's always kind of funny. And I didn't get hurt, so I, like it didn't. I didn't really care. I got the, the Olympic standard out of the way. Um, wasn't hurt. It, the race itself didn't mean all that much, other than getting in a fast time and hitting that standard. So I, I did my job, and yeah, the, the whole crowd. I you're so close to the crowd that like they all gasped when when I landed, and I I heard that. And as soon as I heard that, I was very embarrassed. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just got up and sprinted it in, finished the race, and kind of laughed it off. Back in Illinois, Joel Jager, Evan's dad, couldn't quite believe what he was watching online. And literally, I, I think I called Jerry uh, after that, <clears throat> and I said, do we actually have to start planning for the Olympics? And he said, absolutely. No question about it. At that point, I was like, well, you know what? I guess they're right. I guess this might be his event. I was like, you're not joking, right? And he's like, no, I'm not joking. He's just, he's really that good. Then at Hayward Field in Eugene, Oregon, affectionately known as Track Town USA in the track and field community, Evan's Olympic dreams came true at the 2012 trials. And get this, the 2012 finals that was just the fourth time Evan had ever run the steeplechase. I remember everything pretty much about the last last hundred meters. And Evan Jager is over in front with the finish line approaching. 
I remember getting over the wa the last water jump, being in the lead, having like a five meter lead over second place, and at that point, since I I had had a rough water jump like my previous race, I was basically thinking the race is over. Like I I've basically done it, and like I remember wanting to smile, like just I wanted, like I just had the biggest smile like about to come over my face, but I thought got to get over the last barrier first and I kept myself composed got over the last barrier and I felt incredible like Evan Jager the former Wisconsin Badger who went to Portland to train has won the US championship and will lead the US steeplechase team to London Look at the joy yet another athlete who I got hit with a a rush of adrenaline a rush of energy and I I felt like like I hadn't even raced yet and I just sprinted in and had a huge smile come over my face and I was just extremely happy like there's there's no other feeling like it it was it was incredible being able to finally like fulfill a lifelong dream and call myself an Olympian for the first time and cross that finish line and just just know that I had done it and know that I was going to the Olympics was an unreal experience it was so much fun Evan crossed the finish line with his signature blonde hair flowing behind him and his tongue sticking out, Michael Jordan style. He looked euphoric. A month later, he flew across the Atlantic Ocean for his first Olympic Games. So in 2012, what was your expectation in London? Uh, I, or goal? My goal was to medal. I had, so I, like, I won the trials. I felt really good winning the trials. Um, went over to Monaco tested myself for the first time against uh, international competition in the steeple and just kind of put my nose in it and just wanted to see what happened. And I came away with the American record, ran 8.06, and uh, was third in the race behind two guys that were not going to be at the Olympics. So I kind of came away from that race thinking, I yeah, I'm seated fifth or sixth behind uh, some other guys, but they have a bad day and I have a really good day, like I could come away with the medal. So that was my mentality. And I went into the Olympics just hoping for a medal. I thought it would be really, it would be incredible if I medaled. I wasn't expecting to medal, but I was really hoping to medal and came away, finished sixth. Um, Did that feel like a failure? Yeah, it only felt like a failure because of how uncompetitive I was the last 300 meters of the race. Um, Were you just dead? I was dead. I think that was my first time being in a global championship where, like, like the race actually meant something. I had, like, serious goals of trying to do well. And uh, I, was, I was in there with a lap to go, and 300 meters to go was when the real racing actually started. And the top five guys pulled away from me so easily that that was just a little disheartening. Feeling like I could be competitive in in that race and just being made look like <laughs> like a little kid the last 300 meters sucked um made me realize that i like i had a lot more work to do to actually be competitive and be in contention for a medal and um i'm still working at that no american has medaled in the steeplechase in more than 30 years the last person to do it Brian Deemer, won a bronze at the 84 Olympic Games in Los Angeles. This is him talking about why this one country in Africa is so tough to beat. 
my years were a unique transition. About a third of the way through my, we'll call it world-class career, all of a sudden, Kenya was allowing more of their athletes to go to meets around the world, mostly Europe. And so before that, maybe there'd be three or four Kenyans in my event at, say, Berlin or or uh, Brussels or, you know, one of those meets. After that, all of a sudden, I remember there were nine Kenyans in, in a race in Zurich one time. They they took the steeplechase by storm, and it was uh, it was tough because there were there were there were enough of them that wanted to go fast, and so we would be going at world record pace right off the start every race that we were in. From the outside, it might sound like Evan has an impossible task because the Kenyans seem unbeatable, but a year ago he was poised to do just that and to become the first non-African to break eight minutes in the steeplechase. Evan Jager then. Now he can begin to wind it up. The audio you're hearing now is from the steeplechase final at a Diamond League race last 4th of July. Evan isn't just leading the race, he's dominating it. And he looks like he's about to break it. Clear acceleration there from Jager and into the back straight, 300 meters to run. And Bidet looks beaten. This is rare. Enjoy this if you're an American. Enjoy this if you like to see somebody get amongst these Africans, the Kenyans in particular, who have utterly dominated the steeplechase year after year, decade after decade, in fact. And this crowd here in the Stade de France appreciate what they're seeing because Evan Jager is surely running for a sub-eight-minute clocking here. Oh, the coach has, oh, has gone down. Oh. Jager, get up. Concentrate. Oh. Move. Keep going. On the final straightaway, Evan's foot barely clipped the last hurdle, and he tumbled to the ground. Jager crosses the line, they're just outside eight minutes, surely. What an utter, utter disaster when 99.9% of the job was done for Evan Jager. Back in the States, his fiancée Sophia watched online, shocked at what she had just seen. I mean, you just watch and you can do anything. You're not out there running, getting it out there on the track. You just have to sit and wait. I mean, he just like had the race of his life and we were all just like so just crazy excited and when we see the time when he's about to go on that last lap, I was just like counted quick in my head and I was like, wait, I know kind of what he usually does for his last lap and if that's what he's going to run, like he's going to go under eight and you immediately just like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. We were all just like raging <laughs> and I mean, it was just unbelievable when he fell. We were just like, what the crap. What do you think has happened more? You have watched that race or replayed it in your mind or you've been asked about it? Um, probably asked about it more. I've, I've, I've watched it a few times since. Um, I, I, I replayed it in my head a ton. Yeah. Like, I kind of had to stop. I stopped thinking about it pretty soon after the race just because I started thinking about the world champs and what I was going to do there and how I was going to medal there. So it was like heavy in my mind for a very short period of time, very heavy. But I wouldn't say I got over it pretty quick, but I I just moved on um, and started looking forward pretty quickly. I mean, you PR'd. You ran really flipping fast in that. So can you take good things from that or does it still yeah. make you really angry no i i take good things from that 
Like, I was really upset about not breaking eight. That was, I mean, that's been a goal of mine for a long time. And to have it right there and uh, just miss it because of a stupid mistake is, it's, it's really hard. I got over it pretty quick because, one, I realized that I had brought myself to a completely different level of fitness. Like, I was... I was in 757 shape. I would have run 757 had I not fallen. Isn't um, there a story that when you were being interviewed, someone told me this who was there, that some of the Kenyans walked behind you and said he would have, he would have hit 757 if he yeah. hadn't fell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were throwing out numbers, 756, 755. Although they're competitors, like, there's, it's kind of not a brotherhood, but, like, uh, I think they were probably proud of me that day, um, and they felt really bad for me that I didn't get there and had I broken eight I think they all would have been really happy for me even though they are my competitors. Seven weeks after his heartbreak in Paris Jager had another frustrating day this time in Beijing at the world championships where he finished sixth. When it came time to kick he had nothing left. He is yet to medal on the world stage. Sometimes it, it feels really good. Like at first, the first four laps, um, you feel really strong. Like you're not running all that fast for 3,000 meters. Um, but with all the jumping and hurdling, it definitely builds on you. And you have to be more and more locked in and focused on uh, having good form over the barriers and being strong over the water jump uh, just to kind of keep yourself from crumbling because those last couple laps when when you have been running fast they it it jumps on your back it's very daunting trying thinking about trying to get over the barriers sometimes um, when you're so tired and moving so fast but a year later Evan thinks he's got it figured out and others in the track and field community from his teammates to his coaches to former Olympians are confident he can medal in Rio Here's the beauty of Evan Jagger. Here's Brian Deemer, the 84 bronze medalist. He can run the pace of the top Kenyans. I had to count on a, a slower pace, one where I would work through the pack and use my, um, my tactics and my hurdling abilities and navigation abilities, okay? He has the ability to run a faster pace up front with the top in the world, and that's exciting. Here's Jager to win his fifth straight U.S. championship. It's expected of me to, to win at this point, and it's, it's hard to win, and especially when you've done it five years in a row now, year six is going to be really hard, and I feel like the, the, guy, the other guys in, in, the, in the field are... They probably know that I'm going to take the lead at some point, and they're just kind of biding their time waiting for me to take the lead. And as soon as I do, just sit behind me and don't worry about anything except for holding on. And it's much easier to do than taking the lead four laps out and trying to hold the lead and fend the other guys off and um, trying to break away from them. So it's a different pressure. There's, there's pressure trying to make the team for sure, regardless of who you are, but there's a lot of pressure being the guy and trying to not only make the team, but make sure I win. Cause if, if I don't win, then it's, it's looked at as a failure. So it's, it's a tough spot to be in, but it's fun. So how do you make sure it's fun still is what I'm wondering. 
because winning's fun. <laughs> um, like it's it's a fun challenge being in the race and trying to trying to like break these guys early on and um, really make them hurt is is fun as well. So going to Rio, will you? I mean, you won a medal. Mm-hmm. You proved in Paris that you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've it's been six, five, six at the last mm-hmm. three world things you've been at. Yeah, right? Olympics, Worlds, Worlds, six, five, six. Well, well, that so have you thought about that? Like, there's not going to be that expectation or that pressure that you be in the front, or do you? Is there any part of you that craves that? Yeah, if you just looked at my my world's performances, you would probably say that I'm a fifth or sixth place athlete. I don't think I'm looked at that way. I think I believe that I'm looked at as a medal contender. Mm-hmm. And oh, absolutely. Yeah, and but there's a difference between a medal contender, you know, and what you oh, were saying about yeah, like oh, leading, leading. Yeah, you're saying yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't no, I don't think the Kenyans are in the field looking at me to take the lead and. Like, they're not waiting for me to take the lead. Right. Yeah. It's harder to run away from the best in the world than the best in the U.S., for sure. If I was to make the final in Rio, running what I did here at the trials would probably not get the job done. So if I was to do the same thing, it would have to be faster Mm -hmm. and harder. But I'm not even sure that that's what I'll do. Um, It is easier mentally to not be in the lead. You just follow and... You're not worrying about if you're pulling away from the other guys or how much the other guys have left. You just sit there and you just chill. So it it might be the right move for me to just wait and try to kick with 400 to go, but it, I haven't done that well in the past championships trying to do that. So um, we could come up with something different. How often do you allow yourself to think about what it would be like to cross the finish line in Rio as one of the top three? I do it a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of my career has been a dream come true, but that would be like, I mean, that'd be the pinnacle. That would be unbelievable. I would be so happy. <laughs> I don't know what else to say other than, um, yeah, I want that really bad. In some ways, he's been chasing this since he was a kid. Thanks again to Lindsay Schnell for that story. Uh, my name is Alex Abnos. I produced this piece uh, along with help from Beth Maiman and Chris Chavez. If you want to hear more pieces like this, stay tuned to the narrative in the future. Or if you want to hear more Olympics, you can subscribe to Sports Illustrated at the Games and iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, uh, SoundCloud, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. Uh, both the narrative and Sports Illustrated at the Games will be there. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening.